0: Oh, good morning, friends. This is our fourth in a series of angels. And the previous three angelic announcements lead to this culminating one, the birth of Jesus Christ, God's Son. Now, growing up with 11 children at the earth house, Christmas was an organized chaos. We had a big living room, half the floor, was full of Christmas gifts, and I don't know how my parents did it, but 11 kids, and, most, and I think we all got three to four gifts. I don't know how they did it. Some were the practical ones, like a belt or a shirt, but they especially liked those surprises, things you weren't anticipating. Those excited us all, right? Familiarity really is the enemy of the Christmas story, we can tune out new things that God would teach us or remind us of old things that need to be applied or applied in fresh ways. When our kids were growing up, as we would read Scripture together, uh, sometimes one would say, well, I already know that story. To which I would reply, there's probably a lot more you don't know about the story than what you do, so listen up. And so today, listen up. We're going to be looking at three Christmas surprises from Luke chapter 2, verses 7 to 20. Now, most of us have heard this familiar story of Joseph and pregnant Mary traveling, probably on foot, uh, over 90 miles, about 90 miles. And this would take over a week in the journey. And they would travel from Nazareth via the Jordan flatlands to Bethlehem, which means house of bread. So Jesus, born in obscurity, a tiny village, a few hundred people uh, just south of Jerusalem, predicted seven centuries prior by the prophet Micah, chapter 5, verse 2. Here the bread of life himself will come down from heaven and give life to the world. And I love how Luke states it so simply. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in cloth. She laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Very simple. No party. No fanfare. To the locals, perhaps just another couple, just another baby. And then the spectacular happened. This is our first Christmas surprise. The angelic announcement comes to ordinary people going about their ordinary tasks. So we kind of think it's normal. You know, God always reveals super important things to lowly shepherds, right? No, no. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood near them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. They feared great fear. And this is typical when people encounter angels. First one appears, and then their fear is compounded as the glory of God. This is his manifest presence unveiled. So God's glory is his infinitely awesome, perfect, grand, because it emanates from his person, his awesome, supreme, infinite person. And that's why sinners cringe or die when faced with it. Hebrews 10.31 says it's a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But why shepherds? Why not emperor Augustus, or Herod, king of Judea, or Simon, who was the high priest that year. Shepherds are sometimes unfairly depicted, dishonest, unclean, social outcasts, but things that posit these, um, actually sources, are a few centuries prior or later than this account. Perhaps the best Insight on the work of the shepherd is from John 10, contemporary with this occurrence. Great kings like Cyrus of Persia who were called shepherd by God. Abraham, Moses, King David, the prophet Amos were, called, were, were shepherds for the profession. Now, sure, there were some bad ones who would steal a sheep and blame the loss on predators or bandits. But one couldn't do that for long and sustain his resume, right? So shepherding was important work. The shepherd had to care for very valuable assets. Sheep were valuable. And perhaps these were going to be used in Israel's temple sacrifice. These were especially valuable. So the shepherd's job, as you know is to care for, to lead, feed, tend, protect his sheep. And sometimes the work could be tedious and dirty and boring and dangerous. So the vocation was really considered ordinary working class, third shift, perhaps lower class. But I wonder if God sent the angel to the shepherds because Jesus is going to be the newborn lamb who will die for the sins of his people and then will rise to himself be the great shepherd of John 10. Ezekiel 34 predicts that God, the shepherd of Psalm 23, will himself come down and will rescue and deliver his sheep. He will die for them. And so maybe the angels are told by God, go to some honest, working-class people and tell them the best news ever. There are many surprises in this story, but one is that he doesn't appear first to the rich, the famous, the powerful, the NFL athlete, the Hollywood star, but he appears to ordinary people like us, going about the routine grind of life, so I don't ever want you to underestimate what God will do through your humble life on an ordinary day, work or school. Well, how about those angels? Now, angels, they are far superior to us in intellect and in mobility and power, strength. Hebrews 1.14 says that God sends them as they minister to us who will inherit salvation. Now, angels model perfect obedience. They do the will of God. God says it, and they do it, just like us, right? We're a little work in progress. Well, angels have a mind, emotions, and a will to choose. And when they appear to people, they appear speaking the language of the people. And often appear as men. There are good holy angels and there are bad deceiving angels who can appear in various forms or indwell creatures like a snake or pigs. But here's the tricky part good can appear evil, a visitation telling you good things. I've talked to students here who have had that problem. Good things are being told, and yet Scripture says, 2 Corinthians 11, that Satan himself can appear as an angel of light. This is important because many who toy with the occult are toying with demons. You play with the occult, you play with demons. When they appear in their heavenly bodies, the holy angels are glorious, they're majestic. The unholy ones are evil. They're hideous, grotesque, even sel- smelling of sulfur. You can ask me about that afterward, which a few people took me up on for a service. Well, no wonder the shepherds are terrified because first they see the angel of the Lord piercing the night sky, and suddenly, He's standing near them, and then God's blazing light of his glory, his personal unveiled presence, brighter than the sun, envelops you. Ezekiel 11 records that the glory of God had left the temple, the Mount of Olives, six centuries prior. Here it is. All heaven is going to break loose. The child who lay in anonymity shortly prior until this heavenly announcement. And he says, Do not be afraid. Behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. Today in the city of David has been born for you, for you, a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Jesus came for you, no matter your background, the baggage, your life, social status, your name. And this is the message of Christmas, that God came to earth that you might go to heaven. It's God's message. There's a catch. He's looking for spiritually bankrupt people. Jesus will say later in his ministry, blessed are the humble in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And so our first surprise is that the angelic announcement comes to ordinary people, shepherds going about their routine, mundane life tasks. But this leads to our second announcement, that the surprising, number two here, supreme king comes in abject humility. Now every good grandpa has to show you at least one picture of his grandchild. So here's little Cedar. He gets to play Jesus today. Jesus would have been much darker than this little Norwegian. (laughs) But you get the idea he comes totally helpless. The eternal word who spoke the universe into being comes a crying baby. Speechless, no crying he makes. Moms probably would disagree with that. Jesus matured in body and wisdom, Luke 2.52 says. And John said that he lived among us. We beheld his glory as from the only begotten, from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, in defense of the sweet Christmas song, Mary, Did You Know?, which Pastor Brian really blasted last week, (laughs) I told him, man, I was going to use that in my message. And so we had a good conversation. We came to a conclusion here that just like when you meet your your spouse for the first time or have a new baby or your best friend your future best friend when you first it's a discovery process you you really there's not a lot you don't know about that person despite what you may know uh, the concepts of messiah were very broad in that culture scholars or street people very broad and you think of uh, verse 49 here in Luke 2 how Jesus uh, they, they went on a family vacation. He, he wasn't there. And they discover it halfway to the Twin Cities. And then they, they come back looking for him. And they find him in the temple talking to the religious leaders. And he said, don't you know? I have to be in my father's house, age 12, by the way. So this is a discovery process living with God, right? Right? And so, just like us, for Mary, this would have been a discovery process of all Jesus is, and knowing the depths of who he is. And I think of even the disciples and the Lord's brothers, how it wasn't until after his resurrection that they really got it, right? So I defended the song here. But... <laughs> Think of some of these words though. So, Mary, did you know that your baby boy walked where angels trod? Perhaps she knew that one. But when you kiss your little baby, you kiss the face of God. That probably took some learning. The anonymous birth to anonymous parents. I like the way Pastor, author John MacArthur ponders this with us. Who is this child whose birth established the world's calendars? Who is this child more widely known than any child ever born? Who is this child whose life and work has impacted more souls than all other influential people in history combined? Who is this child who determines the eternal destiny of every person who's ever or will ever be born? Who is this child? The angel gives three titles, Savior, Christ, the Lord. And this is the only place in Scripture where these three appear together. They highlight his mission as rescuer, his royalty as chosen king, his sovereign authority as God, respectively. Now, if someone are drowning in a lake, And the lifeguard jumps in, pulls them from the water, saves them, a savior, right? And our children's heart project, they come, many of them, with terminal heart problems. And a cardiac surgical team sends them home with a new heart. A desperate need, impending disaster, even death, no human hope, and then the rescue. That's Jesus. For us, Well, from what does Jesus rescue us? What does he save us from? Disappointment? Unfulfillment? Purposelessness? I thought for sure this job, this relationship, this home, this life would have turned out so much better. No offense, honey. <laughs> I thought it would have been so much more satisfying. Do you ever feel that way? Yeah, I, I do, and... I get emails from people at least once a week who do. But we all get caught thinking these things. I thought for sure by now I would have broken this bad habit. I even got a little rubber band now to help. (laughs) I thought I would have been saved from so much, and I just can't shake this. I thought this life, this career, this marriage would have taken a different trajectory than than we thought. So yes, Jesus can help us with these things. He often does. But there's no guarantee in this life that he will save us from any of these things. Right? No guarantee. And then for the retired person who may be watching online from their bed... I thought for sure that uh, retirement would bring me more satisfaction. Or, I really need nothing. I need no one. So from what does Jesus rescue us? Well, God is perfect, and to be with him in his heaven, we have to be perfect. And so we are alienated from God on life support because at the root of all problems, we have a deadly, serious heart problem. So we wrestle with the concept of evil. You know, the problem of evil, it's called. Why don't God just get rid of it? Why does God allow evil? Well, either he doesn't know about it, he doesn't care, or he's impotent to do anything about it. Look at what's happened just in the last few weeks, the last month in our world. And it's not just out there, it's in here, it's in here. Jesus said, from within, out of a person's heart, come evil thoughts. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. He could have actually gone on for a long time. These are what defile us. So what we see in the news, dear friends, is really the manifestation of a collective heart problem. Our sin and its consequent guilt. So God's dilemma, you want to get rid of evil? Get rid of all of us. Global flood 2.0. So sin is this tu- universal terminal heart problem. And when we sin against ourselves or each other, we also sin against the God who made and owns us. The consequence is death. So God's options are annihilate all of us or come rescue us, at least those willing to be rescued. The angel told Joseph earlier, this child will save his people from their sins, Matthew one twenty-one. Now Jesus' name, Yeshua, is from Yah, the abbreviation for God, Yahweh, whose name means I am, I am, And the verb yeshah, meaning to save, to rescue, to deliver. So Jesus means God saves. God is our salvation. You see him on the street. Hi, God saves. How are you today? He's always good. Well, how does Jesus save? That's the Christmas story. The infant rescuer came. He lived a perfect life. And at Easter, his death, his resurrection for us, He came to give believing sinners a new righteous heart. We give him our trash. He gives us his righteousness. Mary, did you know that your baby boy would save our sons and daughters? Did you know that your baby boy has come to make you new? And the one that you delivered will soon deliver you? That's the message of Christmas. God came to earth that we might go to heaven. Well, what about Christ the Lord? Christ is a title, Hebrew Messiah, meaning anointed one. It's not his last name. What is anointing? Anointing, set one apart for a particular role or office. The word first appears in Daniel 9, 25 and 6, where, which predicts six centuries prior the exact day that jesus will ride into jerusalem presenting himself as god's chosen king a week or so before his death luke 19:44 records this well kings were anointed high priests were anointed prophets were anointed as god's spokesman usually these offices are separate why would that be check and balance because of our sin Jesus, prophet, priest, king. He's Christos Kurios, Christ, the Lord. What does Lord mean? Leader, master, it can mean. But here, the context is very clear. It's conveying the fact that Yeshua is Yahweh. He is the I Am. He is the supreme leader. He's the final authority over our universe. Jesus would say later, he said, unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. That's a bad way to go. Mary, did you know that your baby boy was heaven's perfect lamb and the sleeping child you're holding is the great I am? kind of doubt it. Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, You will be saved. Mary, did you know your baby boy is Lord of all creation? The angels must have marveled as God, their creator, was born a creature. They saw his glory before Bethlehem. And in his famous Pentecost sermon, the punchline, Peter. Let everyone know for sure that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. So Jesus is God's chosen, ultimate, eternal king who we will one day soon see reigning over his universe. Mary, did you know that your baby boy will one day rule the nations? King of kings and Lord of lords? I wonder if she still believed that when she saw him hanging on the cross or taken down. It would have been difficult, though, to convince the neighborhood of that. That this baby, born in such humble circumstance, lying in a feeding trough, is Savior Christ the Lord. Right? No one put their baby in that day in a manger. So that's the surprising Aspect here, the condescending humility and humiliation of God. The maker and king of all comes as a helpless babe in a manger. He had no golden halo, emanating beams of radiant light, pointing people that he is Messiah, that he is Lord. Verse 12 says, This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Okay, so the wrapped in cloths was normal, just like today. We see babies wrapped really tight, like little cedar here. Uh, it, it, they, they feel protection, security, and also it was thought to keep their limbs strong and protect them. But the big odd sign is that he'll be found in a feeding trough. That's not normal even in that day. So we picture a wooden stable, or perhaps tradition says a cave, but more likely Jesus was born, I've been in a home like this, Israel, in the first century commoner's home. It was actually um, one big room with compartments. The word inn in verse 7 is the main floor guest room, the hospitality room. And Luke will later use this for Jesus' upper room where where he eats the last supper with his friends. The Passover meal, 2211 of Luke. So on the left, you see the the food storage area behind which is this guest room. And the photo on the right, you see the lower level section for animals, mostly at night. Think of an attached garage for animals. So even today, many places around the world, people house their animals in at night for safety, and if it's wintertime, a uh, good heater too, right? And so Jesus was born in a likely a commoner's home, a relative, and <clears throat> the guest room would have likely been full. Remember, a bunch of relatives were in town for the, the census, and probably the elders would have gotten the room first, perhaps, but think of many people buzzing around here. This is more like a bus station then sometimes we see them like they're all isolated. Um, little privacy. And he lay in this hay-filled feeding trough. Shocking, condescension, humility of God. Luke, the writer, wants us to know that this Savior will surprise you. He will do and say things that we don't expect can you imagine this awesome scene? Continues and suddenly, verses 10 and 11, or 13, 14, um, there appeared with the angel a multitude of heavenly angels, this army praising God, saying, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among people with whom he is pleased. The word suddenly in its various forms describes God's surprising or unexpected twist, a new way that he's going to work. Like the Lord will suddenly come into his temple, Malachi 3.1, or the Holy Spirit suddenly coming, Acts 2.2, Pentecost. Or the sudden coming destruction as the lost world says peace and safety in the last days, 1 Thessalonians. Now, multitude here can mean hundreds or perhaps thousands, God's glory is seen in verse 9, and that's what really terrifies them, the announcement of the birth by one angel, then the backup chorus of hundreds or maybe thousands singing or chanting glory to God in the highest. The supreme king comes in abject humility. So what's your reaction to this scene? After picking himself up off the ground, You'd wonder, I wonder with whom is God pleased? Who does he favor? The angels say that Messiah brings peace to those on whom his sovereign favor rests, those he is pleased to save. And this, of course, would, this angelic revelation would ramp up the urgency, right, of the shepherds, which leads us to our third surprise. In verses 15 to 20, 15 and 16, when the angels had departed from them into heaven, we're not told how long they were there. The shepherds began saying to one another, let's go straight to Bethlehem, see this thing that's happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came in a hurry. I like these guys. Came in a hurry. They found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby, just as he lay in the manger. Well, picture yourself there. You've had this unprecedented, terrifying, and glorious experience, fear and joy commingled. The angels leave, and as soon as they do, you pull yourself together. You get someone to relieve your shift. You want to get those sheep cared for. No dawdling, no delaying. You run straight to Bethlehem. Picture them running together in unison, saying, let's go to Bethlehem to see this thing which the Lord has made known to us. The word thing is rima, uh, which can mean a word or a reality. The Savior has been born. This is an earth-shocking new reality. The signs, normal, wrapped up in cloths, abnormal, laying in a feeding trough. They're jogging along a few miles upward in elevation, And they found, the word indicates after a search, we're not told how they found him. Maybe they went door to door. But it's a small town, not many babies, and word of mouth travels fast. So can you imagine when they find him? There he lay exactly as the angels had revealed. And this is a biblical precedent that's rooted in God's nature, in his character, Wherever your life today is intersecting with God's promises, whatever you're going through, any trial, any problem, fear, worry, where it intersects with God's promises, know this. God says what he means, means what he says. He always keeps his promises, and you can trust him. Verses 17 and 18, and they saw him. They made known the statement which had been told them about the child, and all who heard it were amazed at the things which were told them by the shepherds. You know, maybe it's the middle of the night. These dark, smelly, unkept shepherds burst in there, pumped, overwhelmed with what they had experienced. They meet Joseph, Mary, Jesus, recounting the story. And then perhaps Mary shared how the angel Gabriel appeared to her uh, nine months prior, the young virgin and said, surprise, Mary, you're going to have a baby. You can call him God saves because he will be son of the most high God and he will be reign over a kingdom that will last forever. And then maybe Joseph chimed in. In a dream, I saw an angel as I pondered quietly divorcing Mary. And he informed me that my engaged bride was pregnant with a child formed inside her by the Holy Spirit. Can you imagine that? No offense, Mary, but I wouldn't buy that from anyone except an angel. Emmanuel, his name is. Emmanuel, God with us. So I want us to say this together with some gusto, right? God came to earth that you might go to heaven. Verse 19 says that Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. We're not told what she was thinking, maybe recounting just the humility and the humiliation and the gossip. A godly woman of that culture, being pregnant outside of marriage, she was worthy of stoning, according to Leviticus 20.10. And I think all of us can get worked up You know, definitely happens to me. Ask my honey. And later on, when we're going through a situation, and then later on we see, oh man, the pieces, they fit perfectly together. Romans 8.28, God did it. And for Mary, God had chosen her to enter and save humanity. Through her. So I think her embarrassment vindicated, it probably was one thing she was pondering. In verse 20, the shepherds went back glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, just as had been told them. Again, that's how God does it. The surprise in our third point here is that God's favor comes by grace through faith. What's the big surprise about this? The big surprise, what makes this so shocking, is that all of the world's religions seek salvation through good works or rituals. They say, do, do, do. And yet, you're never assured of salvation or have peace with God. Muhammad, even on his deathbed, did not have a confidence in his relationship with God. Nothing that we are, nothing we can do, can solve our terminal heart problem that separates us from God. However, salvation through this good news, Jesus comes by grace, that's undeserved favor, something you can't earn by works, through faith alone in God's Son, Jesus, alone. And all he has done to rescue us. Jesus says, trust me, and it's done, done, done. And that's why we say that Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship with God through faith in Christ. John synopsizes this really nicely in 1 John 5.20. He says, we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding. Why? So that we may know him who is true. We are in him who is true. In his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Romans 5.1 says we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. God's favor is found only in the person of Jesus. So all we can do is come with empty hands and receive all that he has done for us. Well, the shepherds illustrate saving faith, verses 15 to 20. How so? Well, they believed God's message About Christ, verse 15, and their belief compels them to action. They run straight to Bethlehem in pursuit of Christ. They respond immediately, like the angels. Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them. They follow me, and I give them eternal life. They shall never perish. So, what do we do when we hear his voice? You get busy. Think of reasons not to obey. Maybe turn up the white noise, check the device. Verse 20 says that their new lives impelled by their new hearts would never be the same. Let's go back praising, glorifying, telling everything about what we've heard and seen. Go tell it on the mountain that Jesus Christ is born. Well, I pray that you never get tired of this familiar but surprising good news. Today in the city of David is born for you. It's born for you. The Savior who is Christ the Lord. God came to earth that we might go to heaven. The rescuer came as an infant. He lived his perfect life. He died the Lamb of God to take away your sins. And in his awesome resurrection, he rose to give you a new, clean heart to be your shepherd. Let's close in prayer as we do. I want you to think about initially some, some questions here. Have you by faith, have you by faith in Christ received your new heart. And how does Jesus, knowing him, influence your daily life choices, the way you think? Do you pursue him like the shepherds? Do you tell others, seek to trust and obey? And if not, what what are hindrances? Jesus Please help us to love you, to know you, to trust you, to obey you, to follow you, to tell everyone we know. We pray in your awesome and humble name. Amen.